Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX and was recently named Canada's top agent. Faisal began his career at the young age of 18 and has been providing outstanding results for over 30 years, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. And I found out today that Faisal was also just named to Galt Collegiate's Stairway of Excellence. Welcome back to the show, Faisal. Thank you for having me on, Brock. I appreciate it. Can you tell us a little uh, little bit about uh, the Stairway of Excellence, what that was all about? Well, it was quite the uh, surprise. Um, it's a... It's a stairway where they have uh, alumni from many, many, many years ago. And certainly, I don't feel that I should be amongst that company, but I'm honored to be there. And it recognizes uh, individuals for different things that they've done in their careers or in in uh, communities and whatnot. So certainly, I was honored to attend the graduation ceremony for the students graduating this year. And um, I was presented with this uh, with this award. Congratulations. That's, that's amazing. That's really, it's, it is, that's quite an honor. Thank you. It is. It is. I was really, really taken back. It was uh, a very humbling experience. And it was great to go back to my former high school. And uh, it was funny, just as I was going up on stage, my uh, former math teacher who made me go to summer school and failed me um, <laughs> said, now make sure you speak about the importance of education. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I completed uh, grade 12 and went back for my OAC and didn't go to university. So I don't know how I'm going to pull that one off, but I did the best I could to inspire them to follow their dreams. Of course, my kids said after I came off of the stage that it's, you pretty much convinced everybody to drop out of school. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's what an amazing impact. That's that's just amazing. Thanks so much for sharing that story, Faisal. That's awesome. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, uh, reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly, 519-624-5555, or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Lots to talk about today, Faisal. We know rental prices uh, continue to creep upwards. Uh, what were Canadians looking at over the last month or so when it comes to uh, rental prices? Well, the, the average rental price in Canada surged to record highs in October. Like the new average is $2,149, which equates to 1.5% increase per month since just this August. So this year, we'll see an 11% increase um, in the rents over last year. So if you look at it across Canada, the averages are just, just astounding right now. Mm. A one-bedroom average is $1,905 per month. A two-bedroom is $2,268. Um, a three-bedroom is $2,514. And now in Nova Scotia and Alberta led the growth in rents followed by British Columbia. So those are the highest rents across Canada, and they've had the highest growth. So Ontario still has the second highest rent average at $2,486 per month, which is, a, you know, and, and you look at average household incomes, it's just astonishing. How does one really afford rent, car payments, groceries, putting kids through school, um, you know, paying for extracurricular activities. Mm. It just it, it just doesn't. Now, the most affordable throughout Canada are Saskatchewan and Manitoba. 
$1,115 per month and $1,431 respectively. So, you know, there are affordable places in Canada and we're seeing that movement now where folks are leaving the province of Ontario or British Columbia and moving into these provinces, especially if they're, you know, working from home or in IT or transportation, they can certainly look at other options. But uh, it is it is a difficult task right now to keep up with those payments. I know I was looking at a uh, a, a poll that had come out and it was talking about, um, I think that had 2,000 respondents, something like that. And over 50% of the respondents said they're less than $200 away from not being able to pay their bills every month. And you think, wow, like that's such a small amount of breathing room that people have. And if the rates keep going up, that that breathing room just gets smaller and smaller. Yeah, it is difficult to keep up. In, in, in even good times, it's difficult. So imagine what it is right now. So when we make the jump to 2024, uh, what can folks expect when it comes to rent increases? You know, how are they set? And, and what would we be looking at percentage-wise as we're heading into the new year? So, so the rent is increasing by 2.5% coming into 2024. Okay. Now, you know, a lot of landlords don't quite have a grasp on what the proper protocol or procedure is in giving that rent increase. Right. So, uh, you know, let's just look at some of those things. So first of all, you have to give the notice 90 days before the date that the increase will be initiated. Now you can give that notice in, sep in several different ways. So one is to hand it directly to the tenant or an adult living in that rental unit. That's okay. number one or leave it in the tenant's mailbox where the mail is ordinarily de delivered. So don't put it into a community mailbox and hope they get it. Uh, place it under the door of the rental unit through a mail slot or in the door, okay? Um, send it by fax or fax machine, if anybody still uses fax, um, either to them or to their place of, place of business or place of work. You can send it by courier, okay? You can send it by mail, put a postage stamp on it and send it. But what you cannot do is go to their home and post it on their door. Wow. And a lot of times people assume, and you know, myself included, for years I thought, oh, the best way to make sure is forget putting in the mail. Let's just go to their house and put it on the door so that they get. So that is not a legal way of providing notice to your tenant. Um, so just be very mindful in how you're doing it. Look, I, I, I know it's difficult. Two and a half percent, again, is a lot of money. Um, you know, if, if, if you're paying $2,000 per month, that's another $50 that they're adding on to. And, and every, like you said, most people are $200 away from not being able to meet their financial uh, obligations every month. So, you know, that extra $50, $75 is going to be a lot of money. But from the landlord's perspective, those rate renewals have caused just chaos and mortgage payments have doubled or tripled in some cases. So th that's a necessary evil at this point. And, and it's, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of hit on both sides. We've talked about this before. The renter is going to be paying more. The landlord has to be paying more as well, too, when it comes to the mortgages. And, and it seems like no one at this point is really able to get to get very far ahead. And, and, and that's the way it probably is going to be for a little while. But we've also said that there is some light. Uh, if we look, you know, say two years out, uh, there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. So that's that's good news. The, another piece of good news, uh, the province, uh, when it comes to HST on uh, new rental builds, what uh, what do we know that they've uh, they've decided to do? So yeah, Ontario is removing the full 
HST on new rental builds. So not just the not just the portion like originally announced. So this is definitely a welcomed change in the legislation and it will go a long way in creating rental units instead of building and selling these units the exemption does not apply to those who build and sell okay. the exemption is only to those who build and rent it out and create more housing so in the past 75 percent of the hst was rebated up to twenty four thousand dollars. okay now the new will create a, 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 a situation where 100% will be rebated. Okay. So there will be the full provincial rebate, which has no limit. And the feds announced a similar policy in September to cut GST from their new rental bills as well. So under the new program, a two-bedroom unit valued at, uh, say, $500,000 would now qualify for $40,000 in provincial tax relief and $25,000 in federal tax relief. Okay. So that translates into millions of savings, um, and that should hopefully create affordable housing. Have you seen in in the last month or so, sort of? I know we're heading into uh, you know the, the colder months, and and construction isn't necessarily something that's at the front of everyone's mind. But it, it, are you getting a sense that people are are kind of turning the corner and they're starting to look at the idea of of, of building now that there are these incentives being put in place? Uh, yes, I mean the idea is there, but you've you, you've seen what's happening. A lot of projects are being uh, put on hold, a because buyers are just sitting on the sidelines right now. They're not activating. There's this pent up demand. You know, if you look at the Toronto Real Estate Board, sales are down by almost fifty percent over the wow. last year. Right. So that's not to say that there are no buyers. That means that those buyers are not acting right now. So that's creating pent up demand. When these interest rates start coming down, even quarter percent, half a percent, that influx is going to happen. And guess where we're going to be again? We're going to be right back into bidding wars. We're going to be right back into that herd mentality where if you're buying, I'm buying. If you're not buying, I'm not buying. So this is going to happen. This vicious cycle is going to continue because we still are in a housing crisis. We do not have enough homes to take care of the population that we have. So it's going to be a, a hit and miss. But yes, we are seeing that these incentives are creating opportunity for builders. Let's hope that these builders are going to pass on some of those savings. But the good news here is that that incentive is comes with a condition. You cannot build and sell. You have right. to build and hold and create more housing. Hopefully that's affordable housing. There's CMHC programs that are that are contributing towards affordable housing. So there's a lot of options out there. And I think that most developers are now pivoting towards uh, build and hold. Perhaps they're going to do it for three, five, seven years, convert it into a condominium at some point and sell off units door by door when that opportunity comes. But right now, this is the, the route I think most builders are going to start taking. Good news to uh, to end off with. We're coming up on a break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, downsizing do's and don'ts. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, Faisal, many of us might be uh, at a at an age where we're looking at the idea of downsizing it. You know, maybe retirement is around the corner, or the, the kids have left the nest. 
in your mind, what would be what would be the best advice that you would give to people in this position? And when I say people in this position, I'm talking about myself, really, at this moment. But uh, that idea of what what's what would work if you're looking at downsizing? So you know, uh, I say this to people all the time that if if you're living in a three thousand square foot home, you don't want to downsize from one mansion to another mansion. So right. when when you look at downsizing, you know, really look at the furnishings that you have, what you actually use, what rooms you actually use, and then downsize to a point where you're going into a home that only has the essential rooms that you need. And I was speaking to a to a couple the other day and said, you know what, we have a family of three kids, they and then they they have their partners and the kids, and 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 you know, we want to make sure that we downsize to a home where we can still accommodate 14 of us for dinner. <laughs> now, it, what was interesting about that was you know, are you realistically, how many dinners are you going to have? Are you a three a year, two a year? And as long as there's a basement or something that can accommodate or maybe a common uh, room in a complex that you can rent out, that might be a better option than to have all that extra square footage that you're down downsizing to, but you're really not downsizing just for those two or three occasions per year that you're going to use. Now, you want a smaller lot than you have now. So if you're on an acre, you may want to stay away from another acre. Mm -hmm. uh, although you may think, okay, I'm downsizing my home. You may want to look at downsizing your land area as well. Staying away from those homes that are high maintenance. So those are those heritage homes um, that that are beautiful in great locations. It must be, may, might be nostalgic. You may have grown up in a century home, but that comes with its own set of issues. You know, damp basements, mold, wiring, roof, rodents, you name it, steel plumbing, uh, knob and tube wiring. So all those little things that, you know, you may be willing to put up with it when you're a little bit younger, but when you're getting to that age of, you know, where you don't want a lot of extra duties on your hands, that may not be a good idea. Extensive landscaping, you know, when you stay away, stay from that. Um, now, if you want that landscaping environment, when you if you want to see gardens, if you want to be able to walk out here, then instead of going into a condo apartment building, go into a condo townhome where there are gardens, there are common areas where you can still enjoy those environments and amenities without having to take care of the maintenance because it will be part of your condo fee. Speaking of condo fees, you want to be careful not to get into something with high condo fees because you're not just downsizing the real estate aspect of it. You want to downsize your expenses. And if you think, okay, I'm going to save my mortgage payment, which may have been $1,200 per month or $1,500 per month, but then you go into a condo situation where your mortgage, uh, your condo fees are $800 a month or $900 a month. And many of the older buildings, mm -hmm. you will see condo fees are quite high. Because in a condo situation, you become one shareholder of that entire building. Right. And if there's a major problem or a major renovation that's happening that costs $100,000 and there's 20 of you living there, well, your share is going to be $5,000. Um, so again, watch out for those things. Look at the status certificate. Make sure that you're not buying into something that's going to be requiring a lot of maintenance. So maybe look at something newer as opposed to something older. Watch out for those high assessed neighborhoods. Okay. So we know like in Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph, um, Cambridge, there are neighborhoods that have beautiful homes, um, but the assessed values in those homes are high. Therefore, the property taxes are high. Now, right. if you move into a neighborhood 
that is highly assessed because of your neighbors, chances are your property taxes are going to be related to that assessment as well. And you will see probably higher taxes than you would if you took the same home in an area that wasn't so highly assessed from a tax perspective. Um, and, and then you want to watch out not to, a lot of people say, you know what, I want to get out of the hustle and bustle of city living and all this traffic and all this noise and all the density here. So I'm going to move out into a rural area. Well, again, that comes with its own set of problems because right. now you may be unwell, you may be on septic, you may have to have oil heating or propane heating uh, or electric heating, and it could get very costly. So again, where you think you're saving and where you think you're going to find peace, you may not because the cost of it may take your peace away. Uh, and lastly, the amenities may not be close by. Right. So, you know, as we go get older, healthcare is important. Accessibility is important. Um, getting into some rural environments, you know, roads may not be great. You're commuting in for groceries. Um, your family may not want to come visit you if you're out in the boonies. So again, all of those things are some considerations you want to uh, take, take and stay away from things that are multi-level. Right. Um, you know, uh, I, I think I can speak for myself. You're probably in your 30s or 40s, but I'm in my 50s now. So, so I can tell you, um, I would think twice before getting into a home with with lots of stairs because you don't want to continuously have to move because the cost of buying, cost of selling, commissions, legal fees, land transfer tax, all of that can be extremely expensive. So whatever money you may think you've made at your home, you're actually giving it all back in the cost of moving. So you want to try to make it your forever home and get into a retirement community or a home that you can literally retire in, not have to move again. And I, I think too, you you bring up some really good points of that idea of, I think, 50 years ago, maybe the idea was that, you know, it was the house that you bought, you lived in it, and you died in it. And and these days, that's just not the case. If if there are rooms that are sitting empty for months at a time, because no one's actually sitting down to a, uh, you know, a, a big meal in the in the in the standard dining room, or the basement is just used for the laundry or whatever it happens to be, that space is is would be better served with a family with younger kids, uh, you know, that are willing to take that on. Is there ever a time, and I don't know if it would be now when when interest rates are, you know, they're they're up there right now, where someone would make the decision that they want to downsize. So they they would look at renting a property for a year or two, looking to see if the if the prices are going to come down and then make that decision to uh, to get into uh, another purchase or is that just kind of throwing the money out the window i mean you've been at this for a while what's what's the best suggestion in a, in a situation like that so you know if we look at the rearview mirror uh, i would say that february of 2022 would have been a great time to sell your your beautiful home and go into a rental for a year because you could buy that home back today at probably a 20 or 25 percent discount when we're in this market right now where you know values have really declined, you're already 20 or 25% below what you would have gotten in the peak market. And if you choose to go into a rental market, and I've got a very optimistic sort of view on what will happen in the next year, year and a half. Right. Um, if you get into a rental property, first of all, the rents are quite high right now because landlords need to cover their mortgages as well. Um, you may be entering in the market at a time where, as we spoke earlier, when people start jumping back into the market, you're going to see those bidding wars. You're going to see that 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 market starting to rise again as it did 
two years ago or a year and a half ago. So I'm someone that really says always keep your money in a real estate asset. So it's always growing with it. It right. may decline, but at least you're in it. You're not in the sidelines watching what's happening. Um, and again, like I said, if it was back a year and a half ago and you had sold back then and rented for a year, you would be laughing right now because you could buy that property back for a significant savings. I don't think that we have much more downside left right now. Right. Where we're going to see the market decline another 8, 10, 15%. So taking your money out of real estate right now probably isn't a wise idea. Uh, it is relative. If you sell low today and buy low today, um, you haven't lost anything. But if you sell low today, wait a year, and the market starts going up by 8 to 10%, now not only have you, you know, lost your rent money that you paid for a year, you lost your equity. So I really say to people, you're getting sort of paid to stay in this investment vehicle, which your home really is. Mm -hmm. And so it's that, and we've said it before, it's a long game and it's better to stay in the game at this point. And, uh, not, you know, don't, don't be jumping around and uh, all those uh, extra costs that go along with it as well, too. We do need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll get an update from the city news, 570 news center. When we come back, finding some ways to cut costs, stay with us here on city news, 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, the real deal billion dollar real estate broker, Faisal Susie Walla. If you'd like your chance to chat with Faisal, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555 or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. So Faisal, many of us, we know that, you know, we could be we could be stunting our own financial growth in uh, and not even necessarily realizing it when we start to add up all those little bits and pieces that get, you know, go out of our account and don't seem to come back uh, in in any sort of way. What what are some of the ways that we spend our money right now? And it just doesn't really add up for us. What, what have you seen in, in your research? OK, so some some of our spending is unavoidable, like student loans and that type of thing. There's debt that we're having, and that is stunting our financial growth because you're coming into the workforce with a lot of debt from the uh, from from your education and whatnot. And I, and I get that. That's unavoidable. But there's so many little things, and we're all guilty of it. Memberships, gym memberships, Peloton memberships. Um, you know, I'm speaking to my kids here. Um, <laughs> subscriptions, Netflix, YouTube, um, all kinds of software that uh, you may have downloaded that's just on a monthly or yearly renewal, uh, you know, newspaper articles. Um, there's so many little things that we are spending money on that we just forget. We have five different streaming uh, platforms that we're on and and those little things start adding up. And that's where a lot of, especially young people today, are not realizing how much money is just actually going down the drain that mm -hmm. could be going into some form of investment or savings. So look at the automatic withdrawals in your accounts and highlight them and say, okay, how often do I use this? Do I really need this? And maybe start weaning off of some of that stuff. Also buying depreciating assets and, you know, brand yeah. new cars, for example, um, then luxury items, watches, purses, shoes. And, you know, these are all high ticket items that we have all gotten accustomed to this Instagram life that we see right. what's out there, which, you know, for the most part is very fake. It may be sponsored advertising. And we're led to believe that this is what is normal. 
in when in fact it actually is not normal whatsoever. And that's where a lot of our money is being spent right now. Um, a lot of older and the elderly generation is actually spending money right now on helping their adult children. Right. And whether it be buying a home, uh, down payment, or just making their ends meet. But what they're forgetting is that by doing so, they may be taking away from their retirement because, you know, long-term living uh, and accommodation is extremely expensive. It could be seven to $8,000 per month. So you have to start planning for that now and start, you know, I'm not saying be frugal, but uh, just watch what your spending is, especially in that 50 to 60 year uh, age group, because that's the age group that is exposed to the most debt and their children's debt and all the other expenses that go along with life. Um, so just not living beyond your means, watching um, those subscriptions, those memberships will go a long way in saving money. And I, I think we, you know, we see it, oh, it's $10 here, it's $15 there, it's not that big of a deal. But I, one of the things that I'll, I'll do every now and then is is kind of backward budgeting, go back through, you know, the last two to six months and look at, well, where has the money gone? You, as you're saying, you've got to pay the phone bill, you've got to pay the hydro bill, all of those things. But those the, the miscellaneous spending or the uh as you're saying all those those extras there are there are ways to cut back on them and you if you don't you know sometimes you'll come across something and think oh i don't even you know i, I forgot that i had that and, and it's still going on to your credit card statement or it's still going on there so it's a good idea just to every now and then you you know clear the cobwebs out and, and take a look at everything and and great idea for sure i like that idea you're talking about that instagram life right that's not that's not real you've, you've got to look at uh the the real picture if we shift our focus a little bit and we look at another topic that a lot of us are, are have been dealing with um insurance premiums for example they seem to be increasing uh what are you seeing and, and what are your what are your clients telling you when you're when we're looking at insurance premiums so yeah again you know I, and i looked at my own portfolio and i said you know where am i spending a lot of money and where are my premiums really high so so these are all cost saving measures right yeah. and um, I looked at my insurance and I saw that a lot of my deductibles, like on my home, was $500. Uh, on my cottage was $500. On my cars, it was $500. And I'm thinking, okay, just out of curiosity, I called my insurance broker and I said, what if I increased my deductibles to $5,000, $10,000, $1,000? Now, again, whatever your tolerance is, right. whatever your threshold is, that's what you should. So if you're comfortable, God forbid that there's a major catastrophe what can you afford to put out there and still feel okay about? And let's look at the practicality of it. If you have a water leak in your basement or your water furnace or your, your, your water heater breaks and you have some carpet damage, and let's just say the cost of replacing that carpet is $1,000. Mm -hmm. Now, deductible is $500. Are you going to call, and most people do, by the way, which they shouldn't. They're going to call the insurance company and say, I had this problem. The carpet's going to get replaced for a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. You're still paying the five hundred dollar deductible. Your insurance premium is going to go up That's because right. of the claim. Not only that, now you have a claim on your insurance policy that shows up on your record. So when someone else wants to buy your home and they do a search, they can find out that you've made a water claim. And that's going, and I'm not suggesting hide anything, but I'm mm -hmm. suggesting if it was something minor. You're not going to put it through your insurance company, or you shouldn't at least. So I looked at my own premiums and I said, okay, 
just for fun. Let's go to $5,000 on my home. So anything less than $5,000 damage to my home, it's unlikely that I'm going to go through my insurance. So why not increase my insurance premium, to uh, my deductible to 5,000? It brought my home premium down by about 35% on my home wow. insurance, okay? I started doing that with my cars. I said, okay, instead of having a $500 deductible, let's look at some of the occasional cars that I'm not driving in the winter, for example. Mm -hmm. Let's see, let's put it up to $5,000 for the deductible. And let's look at my regular daily car and put it up to $2,000. Mm -hmm. And it brought significant savings on that. So I would urge anyone that's looking at cost saving measures um, to look at their premiums and say, am I really, and look at your histor history. Have you made many claims throughout your life? If right. on average you're spending $1,500 a year on home insurance and you've owned a home for 10 years, that's $15,000. Have you really made any claims? If you haven't, and you can increase the deductible and bring that premium down to $700, there's a huge savings right there for you. Great idea. That's And that, as you said, it, as long as it's within your, your realm and within your, your comfort zone, yeah, play around with the numbers. See what your insurance company, because otherwise you get that standard answer, right? The standard form and everything else too. So look at it, play around with it, see if there's a way that you can, you can make that work for you as well, too. Uh, another thing, and it, 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 I, you know, I'm not, never a big fan of talking about COVID, but if we go back and we talk about that Canada emergency business account, uh, something I, you know, I know we've talked a bit about it in the past. Uh, what, uh, what's your take on that? And, and what do we need to take away from that when we're looking at those kinds of things? Well, if you're a small business owner like myself, you, you you kind of put that in your back of your head and you forgot about it. And it's like, okay, so back when COVID first started, March, April of 2020, we all were nervous what's going to happen. The government came up with this great plan to give $40,000 to small businesses to help them get over the hump, uh, right. myself included. I looked at my payroll for my for my office, uh, my, my rental costs and whatnot, and I thought, okay, if I'm shut down for the next six months, I still want to be able to pay my staff, keep my doors open, not fold my business because I couldn't afford to keep up. So took the $40,000. Then there was another $20,000 top up. So the maximum CEBA that was allowed to be taken was $60,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. That was supposed to be paid back at the end of December of 2022. So about a year ago, right. we we're supposed to pay that money back. People, including myself, said, oh, my goodness, we're just getting out of this thing. And now you want us to right. pay this money back. Small businesses, restaurants, you know, retail stores. No one could really afford to pay that money back at that time. So the government, out of their kindness, said, OK, we will extend this to the end of December of 2023. So we're about a month away from right. that deadline. Um, and again, business owners are up in arms saying that this is crazy. So what they did is, okay, we're going to go to January 18th. So they give an 18-day grace period beyond. Um, and I don't want to sound like I'm not grateful for having this, but the reality is that we didn't expect 6.5% interest rates. We no. didn't expect the economy to take sort of a nosedive that it did. So now you have all these high expenses um, you're trying to keep up with your mortgage payments. And here's the government saying you owe us $60,000 by January 18th. So you've got two months from now to right. pay that money. Otherwise, you don't get the 
33% discount if you had the 60,000. So if I borrow $60,000, I only need to pay 40,000 back, provided right. I pay it back by January 18th of 2024. Right. Now, if I don't pay it back, I owe the full amount. The full 60,000 is now owed. So there's a 33% premium on that. So the government has come up with different ways of getting you the money and borrowing the money, but those interest rates are 12%. So I'm suggesting to my clients that if you are in, not in a position right now to pay that money back, don't wait till December 31st or January 18th to go to your bank. You need to do it before that date and have your loan uh, arranged so you can pay that back. Because remember, you're going to save 33%. Absolutely. But if you if you took the forty thousand and didn't take the other twenty thousand, I believe it's twenty five percent. You only have to pay back thirty thousand, not forty thousand. But there's still a significant. So if you look at the premium that you would have to pay, that's a significant amount. So you're better off to borrow on a line of credit against your home or wherever it is, even if it's at seven or eight percent, than to lose that opportunity to discount that loan uh, of you know, by $20,000. So that's a big savings there. Um, a lot of people have just sort of thrown up their hands and said, Oh, I'm not going to think about this right now. But I'm urging people to think about it, because that's actually free money, you're giving away $20,000. If you don't take advantage of paying them back right now. So borrow the money you need to borrow, even if it's a little bit at a higher interest rate, it's still a lot more savings if you take the discount. Every time we get we get the advice from Uncle Faisal, pay attention. Especially the last few minutes, if you've got to, if you've got that hanging over your head, don't bury your head in the sand. Listen, we'll take one final break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, uh, some we'll talk a little bit more about condos. I was really interested, and we want to come back to that. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly 519-624-5555 or through email Faisal at homeshack.com. We were talking about uh, downsizing Faisal and, and uh, it got me thinking a little bit more about condos and we had some other questions that uh, I was hoping to get to today. If we're looking at pre-sale condos and freeholds, what should people know? And what are the, you know, there's little little question marks over, over people's heads and things that they should be aware of. What, what do you want people to know about that? So with pre-sale condos and freeholds, it, really what we want to focus on is the deposit structure. So when you're buying a freehold con a freehold residential property versus a condo residential property, the deposit is held in two different formats. In a condo, that deposit is actually held in the lawyer's account in trust. So your deposit is 100% secure, okay? Now in a freehold situation, only the $100,000 max is actually uh, secure and it that deposit can actually be used by the builder or the developer to use for construction purposes. So tarry on kicks in and they will protect up to $100,000. But if you gave $150,000 and the builder goes belly up on a freehold situation, you could potentially lose that $50,000 surplus over the $100,000. So it's very important to make sure you're, you're, you're reading the fine print. Now, if you're giving a $100,000 deposit in a pre-sale condominium, so apartment building, whatever it may be, 
Um, that money, yes, it's safe, but that money can be held up for years and years and years. So let's say you buy a building, uh, a condo in a building in Toronto that is going to be ready in 2026. Hmm. Well, they may have until 2030 to complete that project. So although you thought it was going to be ready in 2026, they keep giving extensions and extensions and extensions. Your money is still held in trust, so it's still safe. But the opportunity cost of getting that money and putting into something else because you didn't get it in time, that would have been lost. So again, you have to look at where your money is going. Really try to minimize how much money you're giving. Don't, don't finance the project for the builder. Let's put it that way. Give okay. the minimum required and make sure that whatever you're depositing is secured and backed by the warranty program, by Terion and that it is in a reputable firm so that you're not putting your money at risk. And and you touch on a good point there. The other thing that uh, that we were going to be talking about um when condos go into receivership and we know that that's that that happens locally, it happens in Toronto as well too. What I know you this you you have a hesitation around these things, don't you? I I really do. You know, um I I've, I've been a huge skeptic of high-rise condos especially in our region. I'm not a big fan of it. I, and, and builders and developers, you know, don't like me for saying this, but, I'm, I, but I have no problem saying it. They are not experienced enough to take these projects from the concept to mm -hmm. completion. Okay. So, um, and we've seen proof of this, unfortunately, in very recent times. Um, we saw that one blur, um, that just went into receivership and it's called the one and 1.6 billion dollars in unpaid debt wow. now they're the people who bought in that complex their deposits are still safe but when will they ever get access to them because they stay in trust so now they're going to try to find somebody to bail these people out and do what, what needs to be done if we look closer to home in the region of waterloo um, you've probably seen the crane is, I think, gone now on Highway 8, going towards uh, 7 and 8 Highway cut off there. And um, that's Elevate. It's now in receivership. Right. And that has $64 million in debt right now. So again, those those people who thought they were supporting, you know, local and they're buying a condominium and they're going to retire in this or they're going to invest in this. And this is where I've said that realtors are responsible to do their due diligence right. to ensure that they're not just forcing people or convincing people to buy into these condo projects because they're being paid very handsomely by these developers, by these builders. And that's why you see a $64 million debt. Because they put themselves into all kinds of debt, whether it be, you know, paying out these brokers to bring these buyers in and selling at inflated values. Um, unfortunately, their money is stuck for a while until something gets figured out. And that's just Tower One. There were supposed to be four, I believe. That's and right. That's one. They couldn't get that off the ground, really, unfortunately. So what's going to happen to the next ones? So really, someone's going to have to come in. A big player, I believe, was going to need to come in and bail these smaller condo projects out in order to create so again if it sounds too good to be true and if you're being convinced to buy something really really scrutinize it and get some advice before committing to it because i'm not a big fan of any of these projects and know who's behind these projects know how deep their pockets are and know that they're in a position to take that project to completion otherwise just walk away wait till it's done and buy it as a resale
that was that's what I was going to say is that idea of you know once it's up there and you know that people you know people are in there and and they're happy and you know there's no leaks and there's no you know there's no structural concerns um if you if you can wait for it then then that makes a lot of sense it's and we've talked about this before in the past that the whole the whole landscape the whole uh you, you know you you look out your window these days in KW and it's all changing and it's changing rapidly and you know change change is difficult but change can be good in in some ways obviously but like you're saying do your your due diligence and and demand that sort of transparency to say know what it is that you're getting into don't get into a situation where they're you know they're going to overextend themselves and then all of a sudden you're left s sitting there with nothing really uh, I, at the same time, I know that we're also seeing maybe some smaller, uh, you know, maybe 10 or 20 unit builds going up. Is that does that seem to fit more into the, you know, the style that we look at in KW? Or is it is is even that uh, can, can that be a, a problem in, in some ways? Yeah, and, and I'm not by any means trying to paint everybody with the same brush. There are some great developers, great builders in our community, ones who have made successful projects in our community and have, have allowed our communities to thrive. So, you know, I commend them for what they've done. I commend them for the risk that they've taken. And we can see the results of what they've created. And those are, there are great projects in Cambridge. There are great projects in Kitchener-Waterloo. And they're all hometown builders that have really put their heart and soul and put their money at risk to, to do these. But when you get into some of these other projects where someone who has no idea what they're doing gets people to sort of shove these down other people's throats and say, this is a great project you should buy in here. So you've got to be careful not to engage in that. But the the mid-rises, I think, are a great option. So those are, you know, up to six, seven stories. Those are great. When you get into something that's, you know, 20, 30, 40 stories, know who you're getting into bed with here. Mm -hmm. Understand that you are going to put your money at risk and you're sort of partnering with this person that's building or this developer that's building or this builder. So find out what other projects have they done? Were they successful? What was the experience of those buyers with that builder or that developer? And if all the boxes are checked, then move forward with it. And just don't put your money at risk, especially where someone A is trying out something new. You don't want mm -hmm. to be their pig. And number two, where, um, you know, the, the pricing is so high and they're charging you future value for something that they're trying to sell you today. So if you can look across the street at a building and it's selling for the same price point as you're buying brand new, buy it. If it makes sense, then buy right. it. But don't buy it on the on, on the idea that, oh, by the time it's built in 2027, it'll be worth what I'm paying for it today. That's a foolish move. And most buyers have done that, unfortunately, and now they're paying the piper. I, I like that point that you made about the idea of, of hometown builders because they have, you know, they might have been around for generations or they might, you know, they might have been around for the last decade, but they they know their clients they know that they're being judged by by their the community that they they belong to and it there's something to be said for you know they always talk about buy locally well it's the same idea and the fact that you are you're in you know you're trusting in someone who is already invested in in uh, you know in in Cambridge or in in Waterloo or in, in 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 Kitchener as well too important important point to to bring up there and it, i think that that also lends uh, it lends credibility to the whole project as well 
It really does. And and like I said, there's some fantastic local builders. And, you know, reach out to your real estate community, people that you trust, um, and ask those questions. And I'm sure you'll get the right answers. Faisal, always uh, so many things that that I want to talk more with you. And that just means that you have to come back. So that's great. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. And thanks for giving us some of your time today. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Always my pleasure. That was Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, and someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market. Big thank you to our technical producer, Devin Robertson. He pushed all the right buttons today. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.